0: Welcome to Flourish. I'm Diane Planetin, and you're in the right place if you're ready to create an inspired life. And we do so by working on our own personal development so we can be strong role models for those we love and mentor. Today's guest is going to blow you away. His journey has been one for the history books, joining the ranks of icons like Zig Ziglar, Augmandino, and Jim Rohn. I'm speaking of course of Vince Pesante, who has been inducted to not one, but two speaker hall of fames. Rising to the top of the literary world as a New York Times best-selling author, number one on the Wall Street Journal and USA Today, Vince speaks to a vast array of audiences around the globe. From 3M to Campbell Soup, from Johnson & Johnson to Virgin Atlantic, Vince delivers a unique message style for leadership, sales, high-tech, and client events. After the bright lights of the Olympics and the devastating financial loss in the Great Recession, Vince Vicente has proven he's the authority on overcoming setbacks to energizing breakthroughs His first book, The Ant and the Elephant, took off just like his Olympic speed skiing career and mocked to with his hair on fire. LeBron James cited the book in 2012, Sports Illustrated interview, quoting, The ant has to train the elephant to let him know you are the biggest, baddest thing out here. I took a lot from that, LeBron James said. Fast forward to today with the new release of what is bound to be on the bestsellers list once more, The Earthquake, in which the Dalai Lama has quoted, Life has its ups and downs. However, we should never give up hope. The Earthquake will inspire many to meet the difficult challenges of life. Yes, His Holiness knows a thing of two about that. Wow, Vince Pacente, welcome to Flourish. You sure have had quite the journey in getting here today. Tell us, what is your backstory on how you came to write this, your eighth book, and probably a bestseller, why now?
1: <laughs> well, it's funny, I, I hung with a fellow author, and he was on his like 10th book, and they were New York Times bestsellers, and he turned to me and says, man, it's sure hard to write another book, because you want it to be a good one, so... It's been uh, almost 12 years since uh, my previous book, The Age of Speed. No, no, sorry, I wrote three in between, but they were all kind of print-on-demand digital ones. This one's a full-on published by Ben Bella Books. And and the the path to being an author is when, when an idea just won't go away, right? And so with the backstory of having been to the Olympics recreational skier to the olympics in four years or climbing mountains in the himalayas or <laughs> or just being involved with the corporate landscape to the degree you see so many uh, permutations of doing business that it's um an exploration in that but this book came about because of a actually, you know it's funny i was just just before we got on this podcast <clears throat> i was talking to a gentleman. We have a mutual friend named Dr. Lee Poulos, and when I was living in Calgary, Poulos came through Calgary, and he was a um, a speaker. He consulted with the Edmonton Oilers, the Canadian Olympic volleyball team, basketball teams, a sports psychologist, and he said something that changed my life, right? He said, in a second of time, your conscious mind processes with 2,000 neurons while your subconscious mind is processing with four billion neurons. He said the ratio between the conscious and subconscious mind is if you took a golf, and this was at the time when the Houston Astrodome was still a thing. He said if you took a golf ball and put it on the back, on the top of the Houston Astrodome, the golf ball and the Houston Astrodome would be the same ratio between uh, the conscious and subconscious mind. And so that stuck with me for years. And then I thought about it. And I thought, you know, uh, the same ratio between an ant and an elephant. And wait a minute. If that's the same ratio between an ant and an elephant, what if the ant is on the back of the elephant? What if the elephant's going in the wrong direction? What if the ant has these ideas? What if? And then I thought, wait, that could be a book. That could be a parable. And so by the time I got on the plane, I was like, writing this book, you know, they call the ant and the elephant. And so and taking the formula that I used is from the Olympic to get to the Olympic Games from 26 years old, no ski race experience to the gold medal round. I realized that the whole ant and the elephant concept, the conscious and subconscious mind is such a powerful motivator that now we here. Here I am with the book. Where did I put it? Where did I put it? Oh, there it is. It's the earthquake, right? This book came about as a sequel to The Ant and the Elephant because what if you go through an earthquake? What if you go through the opening line of the book is there's no linear way out of chaos, right? And so here we are. You just realize you've got a concept. How do you kind of flesh it out and turn it into a book? And so
0: no, that's 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 good. But you know, I I really love that at such a young age you were influenced by someone who has yeah. taken you through this journey through life because you really you go in this earthquake from setback to success, from setback to success, and actually the earthquake just keeps happening. You just don't know when it's going to hit. Right. But it's apparent in reading the earthquake that you are a master story storyteller and. The, the parable you use, it, it really does symbolize that conscious, unconscious, magical power that our neurons have. No. Give us an example. How do you recover from a personal earthquake?
1: All right. So you kind of gave us a hint there because there's all forms of earthquakes. It's all forms of... The subtitle of the book is from set your journey from setback to breakthrough. So some... Some of these personal earthquakes, these setbacks, are self-imposed, right? Um, Deciding that you're going to um, um, leave a marriage and go on to do something else. Or if you're deciding to quit your job and start a whole new business or whatever. These self-imposed earthquakes can rock your world to, to, to the degree that you go, what did I do, what did I do, how do I get out of this? So there's this sense of being stuck or a a massive sense of uncertainty. Uh, And then there's earthquakes that happen to us, you know, bankruptcy, uh, cancer, uh, you know, um, a divorce (laughs) that we weren't seeing coming, you know. And uh, so to to have these kinds of uh, personal earthquakes, the same effect is really at play But the uncertainty is amplified because you didn't do it by choice. It it just kind of happened. But you're still in choice. Choice to do what? And so the uncertainty can truly be debilitating. Um, Hopefully that answers your question a little bit.
0: Well, I mean, the world got caught off guard with this global pandemic. Yeah. Yeah and yeah. you want to talk about an earthquake and the earth trying to shake us all off in in a hurry it's <laughs> yeah. it, it's it the road to recovery is going to be a long one and that's why your book is such fantastic timing for absolutely anyone who needs just that little boost of encouragement and you already mentioned that there's no linear way out of chaos and I love how that how that's how the book opens but How do you start marching in the direction you're supposed to if there's no linear way out of chaos?
1: Yes. (laughs) it's so this was the head scratcher. I mean, you know, you've known me for years and reading the book, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's somewhat autobiographical, right? I didn't, I was just drawing from my own personal experience, which was, okay, so I figured out how to get to the Olympic Games from a standing start in four years, right? I figured out how to get on the New York Times bestselling list. Uh, I figured out how to get into the Speaker Hall of Fame with Zig Ziglar and Ogmandino and Jim Rohn, right? So I've figured all these things out. And then my personal financial earthquake hits and I go, why can't I figure this out? Like I went for months, if not years, going, why can I not figure this out? And that's why the opening line to the book is, there's no linear way out of chaos. If that's the case, what is it? And so I had the concept of the like book five, six years ago. I went, wait, wait, there's, there's, there's got to be a way. But I had to live it to really figure out how, uh, what I now call the solution loop. And so it was being able to really treat the first most important step when you're going through a massive setback or a personal earthquake is to understand there's a relationship between your ant and elephant. The ant is on the back of the elephant. Now, the foundation of this concept is the ant makes a decision to go west, but if the elephant is headed east, where is the ant ending up, right? It's ending up east. But the ant is absolutely bewildered, going, wait a minute, I was marching west. I I was on the back of this gray landscape, and I was marching west, and now I'm east. How does that work? Like, how does that work? So, being able to align your ant and elephant is, again, the premise, but with an earthquake, the dysfunction is so profound, meaning two things are at play here. It's like two individuals holding on to a steering wheel of a vehicle, and these two individuals are in a relationship together. They're in the same vehicle together. And you can call that a marriage, or you can call the relationship between the ant and the elephant, the conscious and subconscious mind, any kind of relationship like that. Yanking on the steering wheel, going, No, I know, I know how to do this, right? says the conscious mind. I know what how to do this, says the spouse, you know. And the other spouse is going, no, I know how, you know, we gotta compromise, you've got to do it my way sometime. You know, there's there's this dysfunction that happens in the vehicle. And this notion that compromise is I'll do some, and you do some, and we'll meet in the middle. You don't meet in the middle when you're both holding on to a steering wheel. You have to come to terms with letting go of what you know. Letting go of that metaphorical steering wheel. And the the tricky part is, consciously, you can maybe wrap your mind around that. But subconsciously, how do you let go of something that's ingrained, that's a pattern, that is believed to be true, Because this cognitive model, if you really think about how the brain works, uh, the the, the tendency is to think that if we want different results, we just need to change our actions. New actions means new results. But the, the net effect of it is that we have beliefs, attitudes, and truths that will take us in a different direction. And the problem is some of these beliefs, attitudes, and truths are subconscious. And we don't know how to remedy that.
0: So how long was this hero's journey that you took before you became the artist? You are <laughs> like, how long can people expect to to just keep slogging and slogging and slogging? Like, you know, it, our instantaneous world is taking so much uh, time conceptualization away from people that... No they don't understand okay this was a setback uh, okay it took me you know 6 hours to negotiate this deal and now it's going to take me 6 years to recover from the failure like what what's the expectation
1: yeah it's all below the surface that's the frustrating thing about this dynamic between your aunt and elephant your conscious and subconscious Is we can rationalize w- w- the situation we're in okay i've been through a divorce right and uh, you know, emotionally, I thought this was the woman in my dreams, and she thought that her old boyfriend was still a thing, <laughs> so I was like rationally going, no, but we we can figure this out okay, you you can sort that I, there was all sorts of rationalization going on, but it was it was full on a impossible thing until until there was a realization that this just was not going to work. I mean, I don't quit. Yet, this this relationship that I went through, this earthquake, this emotional earthquake, was one where I just couldn't figure out. Things that happen at a subconscious level, uh, that is the reason for therapy. That is the reason for going through self-development courses. That's for reading reasons. That's the reason for buying a book on that, where you can have self-discovery, listening to an, a podcast. I mean, there's all sorts of discovery that we we can proactively get into and start to pick these pieces apart. But to know what's going on in the subconscious mind, it, it's subconscious. It's below consciousness. <laughs> so you're not conscious of it until you see the evidence. And then you go. Well, wait a minute. Maybe I am the person that needs to change. You know, maybe I am the person that needs to be able to adapt, or maybe I am the the one that needs to go to counseling. You know, so <clears throat> there's there's self discovery in uh, to your point in a world of instant gratification. Yeah, there's no there's no pill, there's no silver bullet when it comes to chaos. There's no silver bullet when it comes to uh, the process of self-discovery. And so what I attempted to do in the earthquake is s- accelerate that. I mean, our our motto is accelerate growth, right? Um, for that whole speed theme and, and all that. How do you get there faster is really my, my life's mission. And, uh, and getting there with the elephant to go in the same direction, how to create that alignment, that is possible, but it requires uh, a number of steps. Let's put it that way.
0: Right. Well, you know, uh, everybody faces adversity and they either thrive or they die. They, they either rise to the occasion or become completely deflated because that's, that's, a, that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. But you quote in your book, when devastation gets in the way, through the middle of it, through the middle of it is the way. That It's like the eye of the storm, you know, you're in a, a tornado, that little sweet spot, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore, and, but you're safe in the eye of the storm. But it's through that storm is the way, is, is that the day, is that the day that turns your life around when you realize you have to, you, you have to pivot and keep moving?
1: Yeah, well, you got one of two choices, three choices. One, you could stay s- put and just stay there, and the devastation, nothing happens. You can run away from the devastation, uh, and guess what? It gets bigger. <laughs> or you can run towards it, and the wacky thing about that is it gets smaller. So going towards something is that is causing you consternation, is calling, causing anxiety, is causing feeling of not being worthy, all the, the the spectrum of dysfunction. It just gets manageable when you go towards it. But that's not our tendency. Our tendency is to lean away from the danger. Uh, you know, there's this metaphor for skiing uh, because of, that's my thing. So in skiing, I've skied with individuals and they typically get on steeper slopes and fall, right? Wait, 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 wait. there's what's happening. And the dynamic is <clears throat> that if you're on uh, perpendicular to a flat surface, standing up, straight up and down, you will not fall over, right? That's just basic <laughs> physics. But if you get in, um, on a ski slope and you start to, it starts to get more of a slope, you need to stay perpendicular to the slope to t- have control of your skis. Now, not straight up and down, you're kind of in that ninja position, but the, the center of gravity through your, your shoulders and your midsection and your thighs and your calves, you're in that kind of ski-ready position, you have to be perpendicular to the slope. So the steeper it gets, the more you have to stay perpendicular to the slope, but what happens is people go, I don't want to fall, and then they lean back. <laughs> I don't want to fall there because that's dangerous. So being able to stay perpendicular, staying over your skis, being able to not necessarily lean into the danger and not necessarily lean away from the danger, but staying in that sweet spot of discovery, uh, allows us to, to advance as going, "Oh, that's why I, I, that's how I can have control in this situation." And so, I mean, the ultimate lean away in dark times is suicide, right? I can't take this anywhere, I'm out of here. You know, it's, it's, it's tragic and I've had friends that have committed suicide and relatives that have committed suicide and it's just devastating because they just checked out, they couldn't deal with it. And then some who just lean so far into it that there's self implosion that happens, right? Uh, trying to deal with it in different ways through substance abuse or, or, or whatever. And that sweet spot is just being in the chaos, uh, knowing that you're going to figure it out as you go. Um, So, you know, and this is a side analogy, but I don't know how many skiers we have listening. But if you've ever skied in the trees, right, that is where the best snow is. It also happens to be where the trees are. (laughs) <laughs> and so to not get you know annihilated by a tree it's a very dynamic situation where you're not leaning back you're not leaning forward but you're in play you're adapting to what you have to deal with as you go and uh think about that for a second the best snow is in the trees and to get in that zone of being in the best snow and it's quiet and and there's danger all around but you ski around the danger right <clears throat> man it just ends up being such a gratifying experience when you figure that out
0: it, it is actually a beautiful analogy because i love skiing in the trees but oh, uh, <laughs> yeah I, I've, I've, uh, <clears throat> I've i've knocked on a few uh, wooden doors there right now and then too, so. <laughs> but the uh, the problem is is that you know you, you become so fearful you become immobilized you know, you're, you're, you're freaking out, you don't know what to do. And and like you said, you're either leaning in too much or leaning too back, and you need the Goldilocks effect, right? You need the just, just right. right sweet yeah. spot. Absolutely. So what about when the wolves are at the door and the vultures are circling over top, and we are in that survival mode now, because we don't know what to do. And in, in your story, you know, you're, you're, your posse they're in the mud flats and they're just struggling so how do you go from that point of being so powerless right you know to stop being a victim where, where do you turn do you do you keep do you keep just releasing like release let go but how 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 do you how do you get through those mud flaps
1: there's a lot to unpack there so the first thing that comes to mind is uh is three things um, to rest, pace yourself and then go with it. Um, the, the resting part is a chance to be able to think of your your brain as a very smart snow globe. And then in chaos, the, the flakes are just all over the place, right? And, and so what rest does is allows those very smart flakes to start to settle where they belong and the realization of what's necessary. I mean, guaranteed, my wife, when she goes for a run, as soon as that front door opens, she starts talking about what we should do, right? She's been processing what should that, oh, I just had this idea, you know? Every single time, because she's allowed these smart flakes to kind of um, settle. Um, and then pace yourself. I mean, the, the, the whole concept of pacing in the age of speed uh, it, it's it's not a reflex. It's well, let's get it done. I can get more done. I've got this 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 device here that I can get so much done, and then it's just being able to have this. And okay, and then the complexity shows, and then the snowball's going like this again. So the the rest, and then pace yourself of being able to be in that zone of of conscientious. Consciousness, meaning you're very conscientious about what's going to be good for you and your world, and conscious of the the, the dynamics that are going around you, whether it's a relationship or or business or whatever. And then um, and then go with it means there's a certain flow that we will find ourselves in. Uh, think of the life like, and this is going to be right out of a Chinese proverb, but don't push the river. Right <laughs> there is. <laughs> there is a flow to the river and you could just see it if you've ever been in a river there's some parts of the river that are just the maximum flow and some of it has eddies going around these rocks where you can actually take a break or whatever so if you can use the river to go to your advantage so if you rest pace yourself and go with it uh, you're going to be able to set yourself up for progress or growth Um, And and I wrote this book because it's just not linear. You're you're in a chaotic situation from the relationship that you've left or the bankruptcy that you've gone through or the diagnosis of cancer. And then we kind of get in this um, fight mode, which is another piece, Diane, which is um, think if somebody were to try and steal your purse, right? you would immediately get into fight mode. You would be pulling that back. No, they're not going to take it from you. And you're getting in that fight mode. Now, you're a very strong personality. Um, I've known your family for years. You come from very strong stock, right? Like just anybody messes with you. They just didn't know who they're messing with, right? So you're in that fight. It's after. The aftershocks from that fight, that earthquake, is when... You start to realize how fragile we all are—that you are, that I am—and in that fragility, we can get stuck. Like you've seen people go into shock, where they just don't—they just look straight ahead after a car wreck. They're not; they might have been banged up a little bit, but then the fight's over, and now they're in shock and stuck. It is the human condition to not realize that this fragility is part of the experience of being able to get through to the other side. And um, and it's wonderful seeing that mental health is an issue that athletes are saying, this is a real thing, right? People who are iconic, that are held up as, as these bastions of strength and determination and accomplishment, some of them are saying, yeah, I, I was going through probably the hardest time of my life and I'm suicidal or whatever their issue was. Um, Michael Phelps, the swimmer, right? I mean, there's so many athletes, Simone Biles, I mean, they they stand up and say, <clears throat> mental health is a thing for all of us. And to be able to be in that space after the fight, after the earthquake, and try and figure this out is really part of the process. and. And like tree skiing, it's a dynamic that you kind of figure out as you go, <clears throat> and that's why the book might not resonate with certain people because they want something very prescriptive um well that, that's 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 an illusion <laughs> chaos a prescriptive model from chaos is is absolute fallacy there, is, there it you just you will be in a dynamic and figure it out
0: well you know the the nice thing is is that uh, the book the earthquake it really mm, prompts people to start thinking for themselves uh, to yeah. rather than it being in as much as it was based on your own personal journey the characters can resonate with everyone regardless of their situation regardless of where they are in their life right now and and you're right these Uh, public figures that have come forward and said, hey, guess what? I'm human, too. (laughs) It's okay to go on this journey. Um, It makes me think of this family. I know, uh, sadly, they lost their son to a a car uh, crash recently. And, you know, everyone's gathering around and they're like, oh, my gosh, blah, 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 blah poor me poor you poor us and you know the parents they just held their head up high and they said you know what we're not going to do that we are grateful for the time we had with our son we are going to remember him as he was and we are not going to think about what we can't control hmm. and I just thought wow give me that strength give me that energy where give me that potion what are you people eating <laughs> you know yeah. like yeah. that's it's incredible because they could have gone the other way yeah they could have gone into depths and despair and just questioned the universe until the end of time right, right. so the fact that people are humanizing things and they're they're being honest and 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 being out there i think is a really strong standpoint for mental health. And, and honestly, your, your book touches on a lot of these yeah. factors and, and the conscious, subconscious, and the, the ant. He can't see where he's going, you know, the forest of the hare, or the animal, you know, it's like, uh, tell me, how did our hero finally set his intentions to flourish?
1: Well, he had outside help, <laughs> number one. Being able to set ego aside and say, you know, um, who, who's who got some information that might be helpful here, right? Uh, that is such a powerful part of the book. And in, in the book, the mentor's name is Brio. Um, and Brio, actually, in the book, I shouldn't give it away, but this, something happens to the mentor, and this whole um, feeling lost can be, um, can push ourselves into this moment where we realize a theme in life is staying in choice. Like your friends who lost their son, they made the choice. Um, and making good choices. When the subconscious mind is determined to do something else, which might be "I'm not worthy," <clears throat> maybe childhood wounds, maybe brand new ones from this earthquake you went through, like this feeling like uh, you've lost it, I'm not relevant anymore. Whatever the the, the narrative that's going swimming below the surface that's just trying to feed this information, um, staying in choice is is such. Um, a powerful tool now I know you know that I know we all know that but we forget we forget and sometimes we have blind spots to it I was at an event it was very small was just a kind of a house party with friends I knew nobody at this party except the, ho- the my buddy who took me to this place I didn't even know the host. they were his cousins or something no zero people except this buddy Carrie there's a woman there from New Zealand. She starts to tell this story about how I won't get into all the details, enough to say that she travels. Her ex-husband, they were in the on the rocks and they were trying to figure it out. Her kind of ex um dies while she's gone on a business trip to the US, to Canada. And the ex's parents don't tell her that he's died, right? Okay. So she comes back like two weeks later. They've already had the funeral. He's in the ground. Things are done. And um, they made sure that she was not part of it because she was the enemy. She was evil. And um, and it was a perfectly nice person, New Zealand, even the accent, you know. And so we're all just like, oh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then they did. And then this family went out of the way to make her feel pain. And then they did this. And then they did this. And so this whole story went on for easily 25 minutes. And after she was finished the story, I pulled her aside and I said, I know you don't know me and you might get mad at me for saying this, but I'm really curious. She said, what is it? I said, how many times have you, how many times did that happen? She said, what? That he passed away. Once. How many times did this family do this to you? Well, once. How many times have you told that story, right? (laughs) And she went, oh. Um, And she couldn't answer. She said, I don't know, 100, 200, I think. How many times have you experienced that story? Like if you've actually not even told it, that you've gone through it in your mind. She said, thousands. I said, so it happened once, but you've experienced it so many times that she was in a position of victim, of being in a position of uh, not choice, Of which is when you're a victim, you have no choice. <laughs> And so, I don't know where she is now. I don't have any idea if that conversation, I, but I did leave her with this. I said, you, you know, just take it for what it's worth, but you just uh, got to stop telling that story. And as you know, that's in the book, right? I thought of this woman when I was writing that part of the book, because there's just somebody has to s- sit you down at some point and say, you got to stop telling that story. You got to stop reliving it, Right. And we, right. but we do, we do this, this, uh, you know, at uh, this event and somebody had said something, I can't remember the details, but you know how you walk away going, Oh, wait, I know what I should have said. Oh, I know what I should have said. <laughs> like there was all these things I should, it only happened once, but how many times did I experience this and how evil is that person for what they said? But well, they could have just been offhanded saying it, you know? Like, so,
0: no kidding. Yeah. No, yeah. Cause our memory is for remembering, you know, good, bad, evil, safety, it's not right. for wallowing, right? Right. Uh. <laughs>
1: and keep just hanging on to those things, just staying in choice rather than reliving that uh, negative or dysfunctional experience. Um, so, you know, this is all really, Diane, about um, turning the tables on the human condition. Mm-hmm. So if we are capable of replaying a negative experience and amplifying it, we're also capable of replaying a positive experience with the five senses of what it would look like, smell like, taste like, all the five senses, and then bringing in the emotion of what that feels like and truly experiencing it. Let's, let's make up a word, experientialize. Experientialize <laughs> that word to the degree that you've, you've experienced it a hundred, a thousand times that's very possible. Uh, that's that's positive. You know, there's two facts. You'll gravitate towards your dominant thought and you'll gravitate to that which you believe to be true, right? So are you the architect of your dominant thought or is your dominant thought appearing to you? And are you the architect of that which you believe to be true? Or is the truth just appearing to you because that's the environment you're in, the truth you're being given, what people are saying to you, what you see in the mirror, um, or are you you in the architect of that? And again, we come back to the word choice. Are you choosing to be the architect of that truth and dominant thought, or are you choosing to allow it to happen to you? And that's, that's a really good question.
0: Yeah, well, and that's why the book is so great because you have to sit there and reflect. And you know, there was a few parts in the book I, am like, oh man, this sounds like Carl Young's talking to me here. Like <laughs> it's really, really well put together because it does give you some, some thought provocation, and and you don't give people the answers because each solution is individual, right?
1: Can I ask you a favor? You, I, I, you intimidated me, and I want to show everybody why. Do you have the book? I sent you an advance copy, but you oh. had to print it out, right? You have it yeah, there? I went
0: to Staples, and I printed it out. There you see go.
1: all those post-it notes right there? <laughs> I saw that photo, and I went, oh, nobody that I've done all these interviews with has done as much detailed homework as you have, and so very, very impressive, and... Um, scared the heck out of me before this podcast i was going how am i gonna <laughs> she knows the book as well as i do it's
0: <laughs> a lot of highlighting going on in there that's, yeah, that's for sure great. very yeah. impressive yeah it, it, it was it was quite 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 enjoyable i'm gonna say thank you thank you I so love much that.
1: thank you diane appreciate that
0: so let's get back to our hero's journey here. And uh, one of the things they go through is an area called the Maswali Forest. Very, right. very interesting. Yeah. Because just when you think, and, and I love the suspense in this book as well. It's really nice. They're on their road to recovery. They they have the guidance, the wisdom of the owl.
1: Everything's falling into place, it's, right?
0: Yeah. It's the dominoes are perfect order. Right and yet our heroes go down another dark path because somebody doesn't listen to their subconscious. That's
1: right. <laughs> somebody is stubborn. Somebody goes, no, no, I got this, I got this, and then they start going back to what they're, they've done all along, right? And this, I will say this with authority, that this, uh, this was very autobiographical, and exposing the underbelly of our... If you're a driver at all, if you're somebody who has been able to accomplish anything in your life, you know that you can go, no, I got this. I know how to do this, right? Um, and and the, this, this factory defect that we are born with, which is, you know, the ability to let go, happens so much more easily when things are working. When things are in pain, there will be people that will give you advice where, let's say you come across somebody else that uh, had lost a daughter in a car wreck, right? If you walked up to that person and said, well, there's this other family, and you know what, I realized you just have to let go. It'd be ostensibly the same as coming up to a person who has a knife in their leg, and you come up to them and say, Got a friend who had a knife in their leg, and you know the best thing you could do is just let go, just let go. And they're going to look at you like, "Yeah, there's a knife in my leg. Like this is painful. I can't focus on anything else but this pain." Once that pain is addressed, once that pain subsides, once there's that that moment of feeling of progress, that's when letting go is absolutely the quintessential action of courage. The quintessential action of letting go of ego ego, and allowing that what is in front of you to come together. Because you've got things working for you. Now it's time to let go. When things are working, that's when ego steps in and goes, all right, all right, good. We got this. I know what to do. And uh, it just goes south again. So... Yeah, you picked up on a very important nuance in the book, which was we do that to ourselves, and um, it's just it's, and you know it ends up getting even worse, which is probably life's lesson again, where it's like oh no, <laughs> like the the near death experience kind of bad, you yeah, know. So
0: yeah, well, where your attention goes, your energy flows, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So every breakdown will eventually lead to a breakthrough. Is that part and parcel with the subconscious mind? Embracing the, the familiar and the conscious unfamiliar? Like this is where habit formation is is vital to to have something to, you know, have your little robot programmed, right? But the elephant so much bigger than the ant. Right. How how is it that uh, we cannot figure this out? Ahead of time, like just oh, I'm having a breakdown now. This is what I need to do for a breakthrough.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, wow, gosh, I love your questions. Okay, so let's unpack this one. The, the 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 first thing that came to mind was we are we typically think back to the best lessons you've ever had in your life, right? Were you comfortable or uncomfortable? Right, you were uncomfortable. So, but think of the human condition. Do we tend towards discomfort so that we can grow? No. (laughs) We want to be comfortable. So we we bring ourselves further and further away from growth when we stay away from this discomfort. We lean away from it, you know. And so that's the first thing that comes to mind is this this storyline, this narrative in the book of having to go through the discomfort on the other side of that is so much peace of mind and so much growth and so much awareness and so much gratifying uh, the feeling of having been able to supersede the fear, being able to supersede the against all odds. Uh, And that feeling is, is not only feels good at the moment, but it sets you up for future experiences where you go, oh, I've handled this before, or I can do this, and then you get, and then so your comfort zone or your levels of deservability start to grow to the degree that you're just uh, almost bulletproof. You've grown as a person, as an individual, and so the second part of what you asked about is the elephant, and what kind of influence does the subconscious mind have? Well, (laughs) <laughs> again, it's subconscious, so we don't know what is residing just below the surface to take us down, because we've seen this play out in society. People love to be right. They, they, and once uh, we, we kind of frame our world, and we think, okay, this is how things are, and then we gather information to verify that our truth that our what we feel is right is verified. and so we're in this situation where we go, aha, I got it. I know what's happening, right? so we can understand our world. Right? how but about the
0: imagination when we, is just so, so powerful and so it just powerful. gets you off on a tangent and uh, you know, we all think we know everything about everybody and and they know every nothing about us, but we literally know nothing, maybe ten percent, Max.
1: <laughs> like maybe, maybe. You know, there's a Diane. There's this documentary I've been really high on lately. It's called Behind the Curve, and it is about people who believe the earth is flat. Mm. Okay? And uh, it would be a layup for them in the documentary to make fun of these people, it would, it, would be, it would be too easy. I mean, it would just be look at how ridiculous they are. But that's not what the documentary is about. It truly says, Tell us how you believe this. Like, we want to understand what you believe to be true and it follows this narrative that each person that's profiled in this documentary Uh, and it really comes down to how vehement we can become in terms of what we believe to be true when you go through an earthquake when you go through a personal earthquake that is so devastating a truth in your imagination can ferment to the degree of being so crystallized that it is, you're unable to deviate from that imaginary truth. And uh, that's why it can feel so desperate. That's why it can feel so, um, so uh, difficult to change. And, um, this whole concept of of letting go of that steering wheel, of creating a third reality between your conscious and subconscious mind, which is a massive order. I mean, it's, I hope I didn't trivialize that in the book because I that is such, that's why the narrative in the book takes so long for them to get to that point of grasping the contradiction, grasping the contradiction from what the conscious mind is thinking and the subconscious mind is thinking, and allowing another reality to play out. And, um, and th- that may take us time. Uh, in a world of instant gratification, that may not feel acceptable. But this uh, process of discovery starts with grasping that contradiction and then throwing yourself immediately into what is that alignment that's possible. And right. And, we, yeah.
0: yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Well,
1: yeah, I might be getting ahead, but it's, it's really, then you get curious. Just stay curious. I mean, once you're in that space of having let go of that uh, dynamic, well, what is it? If I'd have been remotely curious when I saw those the people in my backyard, I went, I mean, it's my birthday. What's going on? You know, I could have kind of processed it that way, but no, I was locked in. My head was down. And... uh You know, this curiosity leads to the creativity necessary to be so creative uh, in in terms of well, maybe this might be a solution in this earthquake, this financial problem that I'm going through, Uh, and then testing it out. And then if if it has traction, then uh, it's going to take you out of that those aftershocks. If it doesn't have traction, you got to go back through. Well, what am I hanging on to? And so this 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 it's called the solution loop and just you can stay in that solution loop for a long time because it's actually kind of fun in a way not in a masochistic way at all but to be able to kind of be in that space where well does this work does this work because something's going to have traction and then pop you out and then there's a whole new world uh that that's available to you um and you know we, we did it when we were in college you go in college going I'm going to be a doctor. <laughs> and then I'm in college going, I'm not going to be a doctor. What, what, what's going on here? And then I started to say, wait, I'm interested in sports marketing. Wait, sports marketing. Oh, that's interesting. So I start going down that path. And then I find out what the Olympic Games, are. I go, that's really interesting. And so this solution loop is just, uh, you're in this process of discovery where you find yourself uh, give, being interviewed on a podcast because you wanted to be a doctor in college. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just a life experience.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's difficult for people because when they become so overwhelmed that they don't know what to do, they become immobilized. And they're like, ah, what do I do? And then, you know, uh, they they start reaching out. And you're right, they, they do listen to podcasts and read books. And that's really good. But the one thing I loved about your book is that you're not leading people down the golden path of manifestation, and if you think about it, it will magically appear because there is more to it than that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, how have you used the solution loop? Because there's there's all these steps, and, and you use this beautiful example of a plumeria flower to get you through those steps. And and honestly, is there what six six steps? Seven?
1: Yeah, there's six in there. So I had to kind yeah, like, of go like,
0: how come step number five takes so long to get to? <laughs> That's the first thing that I'm like, oh my gosh, how come yeah. I can't just go to step five? Right? Yeah. You
1: know why? There's a, good, there's a good answer to that. We are conditioned to go, what do I do? I mean, we ask people at a party we've never met before, what do you do? Right. Uh, we are conditioned to go into doing mode. Because this is, let's go back to the cognitive model, because this is really interesting. And when I learned this, I went, oh, so our conditioning is to say, these actions will create these results. If I do this, I will get these results. Inaction will create results. So we're in this kind of loop of action results, action results. The way the brain is set up is there's beliefs, attitudes, and truths. Think of that, that uh, yield sign of those three things having a filter. Information is going to pass through that filter of our beliefs, attitudes, and truths. We'll then make a judgment. From that judgment, we'll take action. And from that action, it's often a self determined prophecy of the beliefs, attitudes, and truths we had in the first place. So, this notion that, um, that our, it's what we do to create our results. It's more about our beliefs, attitudes, and truths. The tricky part is that most of these beliefs, attitudes, and truths are subconscious. (laughs) They're below consciousness. So information's passing through our subconscious mind and we're subconsciously judging that and we're acting on that subconscious judgment. So, um, you know, this I may make a belief, attitude, and truth because of what I've seen this person broke my pencil. They broke my pencil, and uh, and then um, a few weeks later, they, um, they walk through door, and they don't uh, keep the door open for me, and I go, aha, that's evidence that that person only cares about themselves, they don't care about me. So I've made up this whole belief, attitude, and truth that so-and-so doesn't care about me. So that's my judgment. And so then I will act and then the person say how you doing today and I may say why do you care. <laughs> right? And they're like what <laughs> what are you talking about? And then and then then they say fine and they walk away. So it's like aha, I knew it. <laughs> the belief attitude and truth, so information is passed through that they broke my pencil, they didn't open the door and then they called me an a-hole. You know, it's like, aha, I knew it, right? And so, but most of that is subconscious. And that's why this whole treatment of having going through an earthquake ends up making it so much more complex because there's pain, there's damage, there's the world that you knew is totally taken out from under you. And being able to get in that cognitive loop and change the beliefs, attitudes, and truths is, is a tall, tall order. But there's tools. There's tools like Gold Dot, for example. You want me to talk about the Gold Dot for a second?
0: Yeah, because the Gold Dot was first introduced in the Ant and the Elephant book. Right,
1: right. And,
0: and it, it makes a, a cameo appearance in, in the earthquake. It so. does. <laughs> I love that, I love
1: that. It does make a cameo, but it's so powerful. All right, so the gold dot, for those of you who don't know about this, is the gold dot is a trigger for your emotional buzz. Your emotional buzz is a thought that's so powerful it has a physical reaction. The gold dot when I was going to the Olympic Games was I'm the fastest in Canada, top 10 in the world. If you're fastest in the nation and top 10 in the world in your sport, you're going to compete in the Olympic Games. That gold dot represented I would march in the opening ceremonies of the Olympic Games, which had an emotional buzz attached to it. When you have an emotional buzz, it's a litmus test for your conscious and subconscious mind headed in the same direction. Your ant and elephant headed 2,000 neurons and 4 billion neurons headed in the exact same direction. So seeing that gold dot is a trigger for, well, let's go back. Are you the architect for your dominant thought? The gold dot is a technique to establish a dominant thought that has an emotional buzz attached to it. The more you repeat something, the more it becomes true. Not to the conscious mind, necessarily, the ant, but to the elephant. So, if somebody says something nasty to me, it only happened once, but if I've replayed it over and over and over again, I believe that person to be Hitler incarnate, right? (laughs) And so, but they only said it once. Why Why not we flip the table on this narrative and say, okay, what is the emotional buzz that I want to keep feeding into the subconscious mind? And what you feed in there, when I see this gold dot, marching in the opening ceremonies, feeling the ground underneath the feet, hearing the announcers go, now from Canada, the the ski gloves in my hand, the smells associated with the cold air in February in France. I mean, all this, you know, somebody, (laughs) this actually happened at the Olympic opening ceremonies. I imagined... Uh, Having a cookie at the opening ceremonies because they don't eat. You don't eat. There's no buffet when you're in the opening ceremonies. You just don't eat forever, and you're an athlete. You just got to eat like every hour. And um, so I kept imagining, uh, what am I going to taste at an opening ceremony? Okay, it'd be a cookie. I'm at the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games. I got lost from the Canadian ski team. And I ended up with the Canadian hockey team. So here's this hobbit sitting there, you know, there's all these big monsters, you know, they're sitting there. And this hockey player to my left goes, you want a cookie? (laughs) And I looked at him and he says, yeah, my mom made some cookies. And he handed me a cookie. And at the opening ceremonies of the Olympic Games, I had a cookie. (laughs) I, don't know. I love that.
0: No, you prophesied your future, didn't you? Yeah. Yes.
1: It, it, there, it's so much we don't understand. And it's so important to have a gold dot that establishes the sights, the smells, the taste, the touch, the sounds, the emotion attached to something that is truly magnetic in nature. Something that if that came true, how would that feel? It's just like, oh, I would love to have that. And so that's a great concept. When things are going great, when you're trying to get to the Olympic Games, okay? I tried this gold dot while I was going through my financial earthquake, and it wasn't working. And it wasn't working because there was too much collateral damage in my self-esteem. And maybe I'd lost, and maybe I'm not relevant. Maybe I shouldn't write another book. maybe There was all sorts of narratives that were going on in my subconscious mind that um, I established it years ago, that we have a, a mansion by the ocean. Michelle has her right hand on my left shoulder. We're overlooking the ocean, the smells of the surf and all that. The gold dot doesn't work when you're having to get yourself out of a personal earthquake. At least I haven't figured that out. And so the the gold dot comes back, as you say, make, makes a cameo appearance in the earthquake because... They are at the stage where now they can start being identified with what feels good and being able to, to have that gold dot. So the gold dot can literally change to I'm happy and healthy and moving forward, right? I'm happy, I'm healthy, and I'm moving forward. How does that feel? When you're going through an earthquake, it feels damn good. So use the gold dot. It's an extremely powerful trigger. You know.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's wonderful. And, and we all do need those, those triggers. I mean, you, you talk about school and, you know, life as a child and <laughs> how you're so curious. And then uh, if you get a gold star in the classroom because you did your homework, everyone loves that. But as adults... We forget to give ourselves the gold stars, the gold dots, the reminders, the mm-hmm. the the vision in front of us, right? And 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 those triggers are are really really powerful. And and is that your rocket to recovery? Is that you know? Uh,
1: yeah, there ain't no rocket. <laughs> it's it's a rowboat, you know. The rowboat to recovery is probably more appropriate.
0: Uh, well, there's there's a quote in your book I wanted to share with our audience. It says, when you are present, the past and the future no longer have power over you. Mm. This is your way to freedom and enlightenment. Mm. Oh, how profound. I love that.
1: Ah, makes your, your hair stand up in the back of your neck. Or I've got hair everywhere. <laughs> so it's standing up right now. <laughs>
0: Is that the mantra you live by or do you have your own personal mantra?
1: Yeah, yeah. my, my personal mantra is similar to that, but I've phrased it as a question. And uh, it's very simple. I want to live in this question, meaning there's no real answer to it. It's about being present in this moment. And it's, the question is, how will I serve with love? Right In this interview, how will i serve with love to you how will i serve with love to your listeners and how will i serve with love with myself right there's this you know we're in this together and so to be present in that question is so powerful (laughs) because it's it's how i'm wired it's and yours your question could be different i mean i've got this buddy he just loves to do deals and he loves to to get out there and his question is where's the deal where's the deal where's the deal right and if he's in that moment of living in that question he's truly honoring who he is right so coming up with that question um to be present in that moment is uh uh, it doesn't get any better
0: that's that's nice that's really nice so you've been on this long journey. Who has influenced you most? Who is your Brio, your wise
1: owl? For sure, it's my mom. Uh, she, she if, if she had a tattoo on her forehead, it would be curious, right? She just is so curious about everything and just constantly throwing herself into research and um, and looking for answers and I've just uh, I've tried to model that myself so definitely my mom
0: yeah and you know that's really nice to hear because mothers whether you're male or female or, or otherwise they, the mother role is definitely something that each child builds upon as they go through life so I'm glad you said that And tell us what is the imprint you want to leave on the world
1: huh to to be a good ancestor, <laughs> uh, yeah. There's there's this motto in the uh, in the Boy Scouts. I think it's "Leave the campsite better than you found it." Uh, that actually is some of the inspiration for writing my books, um, and leading by example. So that the next generation, that uh, my kids and their kids can kind of learn from that and grow from that, yeah. And I and I and I think we can accelerate this growth. I don't think it has to take too long. Although you may be in a rowboat, <laughs> stealing from that river metaphor, there is a current, and if you can get in that rowboat in that sweet spot of the current, it's just like, who's your daddy? so it all comes together
0: well and that's life right you ebb and flow and you keep going right so that's nice um is there any last words of wisdoms you want to share with our community
1: there's there's a line in the book that's been somewhat controversial and only in that i've gotten some early readers and they go oh i don't like that um but i'll leave it with your listeners and let you just stew on it on your own And it is, um, when you choose a side, you become part of the problem. In a world that's very polarized, or seemingly polarized, if you believe everything you see on social media, (laughs) that uh, when you choose a side, there are issues that you, unintended consequence from choosing that side. So, uh, we're in this together and um hopefully this interview has had some pause for reflection for you and um let's just stay the course let's let's get in the same rowboat <laughs> we've, got, we've got a common storm let's just get in this boat and weather it together how many metaphors can we fit in this podcast
0: <laughs> i know right but that's that's where the wisdom lies and you know it's interesting i did read that in your book
1: uh-huh.
0: and and i pondered it i'm like huh what what do you mean yeah. when you choose a side? What? So that's what I loved about it, though, because it made me think. It made me stop. It made me pause. It made me highlight. It made me put a sticky note on that page yeah. to say, okay, what does this mean to me? And that was the important part. It's yeah. not what it meant to you. Right. It's what it means to your reader. Because, because you're such a good storyteller, your readers can embrace it. Yeah. And you got obviously under people's skin, and that is an imprint you're putting on the world. And for decades and centuries to come, I'm I'm still I still every now and then pull <laughs> Zig Ziglar's C at the Top" off my shelf, right? Oh, yeah, right. I, I pull off uh, Jim Rohn's uh, you know Success Habits. I mean, I, you don't you don't let go of that. It's a resource, just like an encyclopedia or Wikipedia now, whatever you want to call it. So I love that people were kind of like, hey, what do you mean? I can pick a side. Great. I love that you thought about that. And that's what I loved about your book because there, it, it's, it's, it poses questions, not answers. And it gives you a solution loop. But you have to have your own journey. So and that was your
1: own journey will define what that solution is, truly. Yeah,
0: yeah and that's that's Macarena, cool. So uh, I'm going to leave some links in the show notes for uh, Vince Pacente, and uh, you can find his book what, absolutely everywhere, right? Yep. This day and yep. age. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
0: no problem. And what's the official launch date?
1: November 30th, 2021. So,
0: oh. Christmas is coming. Let's go, people, right? (laughs) Get those gifts
1: going, right?
0: Yeah, I know. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for your precious time today, Vince. We really appreciate it. And the listeners around the world can hardly wait to read your book, I'm sure.
1: Well, thanks, Diane. You do good work. And this is your second season, right?
0: Third season. Third. Yeah.
1: Well, congratulations. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. So, way to go.
0: Thank you you very much.
1: Happy to be part of your legacy as well.
0: (laughs) All right. Live an inspired life.